Was he into MPX? He's in... <laughs> Fuck. I'm going to send you a picture of what Uncle Sarah looks like. He's only in one episode. I'm just really excited to see it now that, like... Oh, my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Good. Oh, wow. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is the Will Be Movies, a podcast devoted to 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. This is still Volume 1, which is 2000 to 2009. This is Episode 19. We are getting towards the back sort of third here. It's Juno, and when I said our favourite films, I'm Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I'm good. We've solved the Zodiac killings. We've read from my dissertation. We've debated about things with no country for old men. So are you ready to just just tackle a just like obnoxiously quirky, like witty, accidental entry into the pro-choice versus pro-life debate movie with with Alan Page? Doing my best to play straight. You know, like <laughs> every single scene in this movie, I'm just like, oh god, Juno's gonna like grow up in like five years and realize no, I'm gay. She's gonna Kristen Stewart herself so hard. <laughs> She's gonna be like, no, I'm in love with Vanessa. Like, so this was actually chosen by me and. <laughs> Before we had rules about what could and couldn't be on the list, I had three movies by Jason Reitman on my list. This isn't my favourite one, but I it, think what, what is your favourite? Is it Thank You for Thank You for Smoking? I think it's up in the air. I don't know you think why. It's up in the air? Yeah, I, I like all three of them for different reasons. And I, this is Gino is probably the best made of these three movies. Thank You for Smoking feels like something only me and three people I know have ever heard of. So I'm like, it's my precious child. I must tell people. I mean, about. I mean, th- th- Thank You for Smoking was kind of like such a like. Uh, that, I, that's the movie that got Aaron Eckhart his role in Dark Knight I feel like he would not be in Dark Knight if he hadn't got yeah. to be in Slick talking Harvey Dent big city attorney whatever yeah I, I feel that worked out for him I don't know it's just something about Up in the Air that I, I, I just think it's really like slick and I must I must say I remember really liking Up in the Air but I've not literally not seen it since the cinema it's not a movie that I've kind of gone like there's a lot of stuff from 2009 that I've gone like yeah I really want to rewatch that like I literally text you the other day going like uh, I'm listening to a podcast on Hurt Locker and I really want to rewatch <laughs> Hurt Locker, and I really wish we had Hurt Locker on the list because, like, Hurt Locker. Look. In my in my in my head, I'm just gonna. Oh God, Hurt Locker's so fucking good. We deliberated these lists for forever. We still haven't locked down. I know, I know, one. I know, I know. But I was just like, I sat there with Hurt Locker, and I was just like, I mean, it wasn't that Hurt Locker was more serious than my text to you saying we should do the Dark Knight. Hey, look. <laughs> Fuck you, okay? You put all these restrictions on. I've lost so many movies due to the rules of this podcast. You can suck it up. For money, I will watch a lot of war movies. I don't like them. Mike Thomas said at one point, eh, maybe it'd be fun to try and make you like them and, like, make you watch a bunch of them, but... It doesn't sound fun to make you watch a genre of things you don't want to watch. Well, that's why I said for money, I'd do it. Like, if it, <laughs> in a world where this podcast is our full-time job, I'd do it. But in yeah. a world where, like, there aren't enough hours in the day to even watch these movies I quite like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, it's quite obvious that, like, we have no horror movies on this list whatsoever <laughs> well, and, I, like, and I've and I've choked, choked to myself to go see horror movies in the cinema I've had a good this year and I've had a really good time with all of them but I'm like the biggest fucking wimp in the world that I, like it's me man it's me <laughs> I, I can't do it I can't watch them in the cinema like if, if I'm ever gonna watch one I have to wait for it to come out like people told me Get Out isn't scary and I still refuse to I, like I've made myself wait for it to come out because I was like there'll be something that, that is a big reason that's a big reason why I saw up in the cinema because I was like oh, I, I managed to get through Get Out at home just fine so I think us, but us is scarier than Get Out is. I read the plot and I was like, yeah, that would have fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, but then I saw I saw Midsummer, which like literally kind of made me go like, this is the best movie I've seen all year so far. But also like, I want to like walk and just kind of decompress from how awful I feel. Well, speaking of feeling awful, no, I don't know. Speaking of breakout performances from young ingenues. Sure, why not? <laughs> I was going to go more for these are the three Reitman movies I put forward, and I feel you were like, I think. Juno needs to be the one. Ju- I'm not, Juno, I'm not Juno mad has, about it. Juno has the more lasting impact, it I does. feel, over culture. Like, up in the air, like, no one's going to go, like, oh, yeah, George Clooney's best role is that one where he, like, gets on planes a lot and stays in hotels. Lectures people about the best way to get through airport security quickly and stuff like that, yeah. I mean, I think it is a shame, because, like, Brightman's three best movies are all in this decade, yeah. and then he tanks so fucking hard. He has Young Adult and he has Tully next decade, which are good, and uh, I think very interestingly, they're both 
script by Diablo Cody. Yes. Um, <laughs> Please, then, we, we, we cannot make it alone. <laughs> yeah, but then Labor Day and Men, Women, Children are awful movies. Yeah, and he's going like, to take a crack at, like, quote-unquote fixing Ghostbusters, which is a no-win situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He needs to be good, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> so, directed by Jason Reitman, his only other two movies this decade were Thank You for Smoking It Up in the Air, written by Diablo Cody in her screenplay debut. She did Jennifer's Body, her only other movie this decade, but she's also done uh, Young Adult, Ricky and the Flash, which have not as good things. What's, what's, what's your opinion on Jennifer's Body? Because I saw Jennifer's Body in the cinema um, on the back of this movie, because I very much enjoyed Diablo Cody's kind of, like, style. And obviously there's been, like, a critical re-evaluation of Jennifer's Body this last decade, where it's, like, now the, the feminist horror movie that's out there. Yeah, it definitely got a lot of attention based on Diablo Cody of Juno. I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch that. I haven't seen it in, like, five years, and I remember it's, like, I have positives and negatives about it, you know? Like, it's not something I would, like, champion, but I also wouldn't be like, no, if someone was like, it's bad, I'm like, nah, it's got some moments. Yeah, I mean, I, re- I remember the whole controversy at the time was like, oh, it's Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried have a kiss. Yeah. Back when, like, that was our example of, like, lesbian representation on the screen. It was and like, everyone's favourite, like, sex puppet, Megan Fox, like, still not breaking out of that typecast, and, and yeah, and they're like, oh, just, we're gonna have you be, like, a psycho murderer lady. And it's like, okay, 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 cool. I would have to rewatch that to have strong opinions about it. I remember, obviously, not as good as, as Juno. But <laughs> no, I mean, but uh, I mean, even even on the Wikipedia page, they had to put little things like since 2018, in the wake of the Me Too movement, the film has been appreciated as a feminist horror and as a cult film. So obviously, like, it's a movie that is kind of a lot more relevant to it nowadays, which is kind of the inverse of Juno. Juno feels like such a kind of like piece of 2007, kind of in in hindsight. I feel it's been sort of done dirty in some reevaluations of it, and I, I think some unfair claims have been thrown its direction personally. But we'll we'll maybe get into those as we go. I assume we're talking about the, the pro-life versus pro-choice yeah. debate, which feels like the whole thing of, like, one of them is called pro-choice and she she makes the decision. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's okay to want an abortion and still be, like, pro-choice. Like, it's, and, like, it's also okay. Like, there's this, we're sort of trained that, like, ca- people like Juno, they would be so down to get an abortion. It's like, no, you can be, like, a woke, like, intelligent, witty, progressive person and still be freaked out and not want Want an abortion? Like that's fine. Cause, like, cause, it's like, about yeah. not at, forcing at, at the end a choice. Of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, abortion is still like a fundamentally hard decision to do. Yeah, it's like the whole the whole thing is with the whole thing with kind of like abortion protesters and stuff like that is that they vilify the people that choose to do them and basically say like you're bad for doing this thing and like ignoring the fact that they probably there are people out there who do feel bad for getting the abortion. There are people out there that are, like are literally like torn up on the inside that they had to make this decision, but for economic or for personal or for whatever reasons they are forced to do it and ultimately it is a person's choice yeah. to do what they need to do to their body. Yeah, and like, um, being pro-choice doesn't mean like everyone get abortions constantly. It just means if you want one, have one. If you don't want one, that's absolutely cool. No judgments. Like, I think it's kind of fucked up that it's been co-opted as like... I was doing some reading earlier and it's like there were three big American comedies that year that like all featured characters having unplanned pregnancies and they all kept them. And it's like, yeah, though, this is how society feels and I don't think it was like a coordinated effort I and like Diablo Cody and Ellen Page have been like well we're both very pro-choice and it's upsetting if you think that we're pro-life or whatever or what yeah. it's, it's fucked up they frame it that way as well like saying I'm not pro-life makes you sound like you murder people like trying to stack the odds in the first place I think it's unfair that it had to take on these enormous like it got co-opted into this larger debate and like a load of people blamed a bunch of like teen pregnancies that happened in the sort of year after the movie came out and they're like, oh that's the Juno effect. It's like, yeah, fucked. Like, don't <laughs> don't put that on artists like that, man. Anyway, released December of 2007 in the US, February 2008 in the UK. We have talked 2007 to death, and we've got one more round to go next week, so not a lot for you to do there. I mean I don't know if there's anything interesting about like its opening weeks or, or anything like that or Juno opened number two at the UK box office, earning the equivalent of $3.9 million at the UK box office behind another new opener, National Treasure Book of Secrets. Oh, I can't be mad at that. Nicky Cage. <laughs> Nicky Cage in the better sequel to the original, National Treasure. And then other movies in the top five, you've got Cloverfield in its second week, down to number three. Mm. Sweeney Todd, The Demon of Bar- uh, Barber of Fleet Street, yes. uh, which I work about ten minutes away from, which is very weird, in its third week. And The Water Horse opening uh, a, a kind of disappointing number five. 
five. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, obviously, Juno is probably like. I mean, Juno ultimately ends up grossing, and I'm going to steal your thunder. Two hundred thirty-one. And is that you, you worldwide? Two hundred thirty-one million. Oh, wow, that's a pretty strong open, though. Consider like, the budget was somewhere in the region of seven million dollars. So, like, for just the UK, for you to yeah, in, in the UK overall earns about nineteen million dollars. Yeah, there you go. So, if you can make your budget back and profit from just the UK, you're generally doing something right because we're not a huge player in the international. Uh... And so, how, so how much? Obviously, this is kind of like Michael Sarah's big year in that he has Superbad and then this. How much do you think is kind of being buoyed by like another? Oscar bump in that obviously by the point it's opened in the UK we're very much firmly in that like Oscar season everyone knows this movie and how much of it is kind of like I mean arguably the person with the biggest movie at that point out of this cast because this cast is very kind of like TV heavy is Michael Serra. and he's actually probably got the smallest role of the big name people in it no I think it was sold on it on the style it was easily communicatable like, I remember seeing adverts for it and I'm like yeah that seems cool and also I think it just got good word of mouth for being good yeah it's just- it's just interesting that the poster for the movie has got Michael Sarah. Oh Sarah yeah, he's on. all over. Like all of the, if you if you had to conjure up an image for the movie, it's the two of them standing next to each other, and it's like he is nowhere near in the movie as much as Bateman and Garner and Simmons, and he's probably in it about as much, if not less, than Alison Janney. Like yeah, like like literally all of the people because what there are only about six people, six seven people in this movie. If we throw in like Olivia Thirlby as well or Thirlby, Thirlby. But yeah, like all of them, and then Michael Sarah's like second build. And yeah, I, th- got- I think they were probably trying to cash in on now. Oh, hey, Michael Sarah's huge now. Superbad was big. Like yeah, that thing is like the whole world goes Michael Sarah crazy because he has like this just streak of movies that are all very similar that have him in like the lead role, and then they just each successively start to flop more and more, <laughs> kind of culminating in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, where I think everyone kind of goes like, oh, maybe this guy can't carry a movie. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, so this is only ninety six minutes long. Praise the Lord. We got a long one next week, right? We do have a long one next week. It's, uh, but it's also one of the best movies of all time that Matt hasn't seen. I let you know in the podcast after it, and I haven't even <laughs> seen it. But after you know, we've had some some pretty long ones, so I'm I'm glad this one's short. As we said, seven million two hundred thirty one. So big fat hit on a tiny tiny budget. So, yeah, because yeah. like, it's really like it, most people say like you need to double your budget and then like or like a hundred like hundred fifty percent your budget to do it. This movie yeah. would been fine if it earned a solid like fifteen million dollars. Yeah, yeah, I feel like if you're like a huge huge movie your marketing budget is obviously going to be like way bigger so you need to do more than just double it and the, the other thing this movie has is that the soundtrack is like fucking killer yeah fucking, fucking killer and like uh i mean what i think it's it was the first time that 20th century fox had a number one soundtrack since titanic correct diablo cody was approached to write a screenplay by a producer called mason novick who had gotten her a book deal she had a blog called pussy ranch i think <laughs> which jason bateman is reading at some point during the movie he got her a book deal to adapt that into a book and then he was like you should like turn it into a movie but before you try and write a movie you should do like a sample script and that became Juno she took inspiration from her then husband who was adopted she had a friend who was pregnant in high school and received a lot of the sort of stink eye that Juno gets from like the school workers and the ultrasound technician that kind of stuff and then the Juno character is largely based on herself like the hamburger phone is hers um, she dated someone called Pete who ate a lot of orange Tic Tacs, like all that sort of shit. Like it's direct from her, and so like I, I, it would I, have I, to be. Look, you can't just make this shit up. It's so yeah, specific. yeah. That's the thing is, it's so so hyper specific. But I do have to ask it is that she obviously wrote this movie when she was in her oh god, like late twenties. I think so. Yeah. How much do you think is kind of like her memory of what she was like as a teenager, and how much of it is kind of like what her personality was like? I when think she was I think it's that thing where like you look back in your teen years and you're like oh I was always this wise or whatever but you maybe romanticise yourself a little bit because it's got that youthful energy and like people praise it for how it was you know we had that we, we talked about it a bit with Superbad like there was sort of a rise of the sort of woke teenager or the like intelligent teen and it's like yes teens are probably more clever than TV and movies have portrayed them over the majority of existence but like some of them are clearly like a little bit too witty you know <laughs> and I, I feel that's, this... that's the thing is but like, I, I appreciate some of the touches like there was that there's the moment that I actually didn't remember was when she goes to the abortion clinic mm. and runs into the girl outside and then she does the thing where like oh I can tell you some of my like Adderall med- yeah. ad- I can tell you some of my Adderall you're like oh but like you might want to take off the pills because like there was this one girl who like <laughs> got naked and then pretended that she was a kraken from the deep or kraken yeah. 
as she calls it. Mm. And it was like, oh, that's kind of like a very hyper-specific, like, she does have mental health problems. Yeah. Either, either she's got mental health problems or she's doing that thing where, like, we give children in America, like, an awful lot of attention meds, which are basically methamphetamines. Yes, <laughs> to... they do. That's wild. <laughs> like, it's such a weird thing. Like, it's such a cultural thing in the US to be like, oh, yeah, we've got Adderall. It's like, in the UK, it's like, what? Why, what? why, would, you, why would you give this child meth? <laughs> I know. I know. It's fucking wild. America's crazy. So then this producer sent Diablo Cody's screenplay to his friend, Jason Reitman, who desperately wanted to make it. But uh, Thank You for Smoking hadn't come out yet, so he had no features to his name. So he struggled, and he was actually the second chosen director. I have forgotten to write down the name of the first dude. But he got it in the end, and then he cast... Alan Page based off Hard Candy. He'd worked with J.K. Simmons before. They got Michael Cera. And then Olivia Thelby, she auditioned to be Juno and didn't get it, but they liked her. And then he took those four and he shot 45 pages worth of the script against just a plain black background as like a collective screen test to get financing. Because he was like, what good is just a cold room, just an actor acting directly to camera? Like, give me the group, show me the dynamic. And like that, that really helped. And then they got Garner, who agreed to take a much lower salary and then she recommended Jason Bateman because they'd just done a movie together and uh, there you go there's your tiny little ensemble cast this is Roger Ebert's favourite film of 2007 when you consider the movie we did last week and the one we're going to do next week I think that's kind of crazy as he is the biggest film critic ever probably there is an argument you made that he is that I'm not saying I go by the gospel of Roger Ebert but it's just no I I mean I I don't agree with Roger Ebert all the time but like he is very much like he is the cultural force that kind of like if you're going to think of a film critic then it probably will be Roger Ebert is the first one it's just every now and then he'll just completely break out of of type and just go to bat for something like this his favourite movie of 2005 is Crash oh okay never mind speaking of bad movies I had to watch this on DVD because it wasn't on streaming platforms and the ads at the beginning were for Jumper 27 Dresses (laughs) and Be Kind Rewind and I was like oh man a time for sure because like we probably won't touch on how much this. I'm so sad Olivia Thelby is not in more stuff. I know, I literally relegated her to the miscellaneous at the end because it's like, look, she's good. Her little side beat with like being in love with a like incredibly vanilla looking adult man is fun but it's like it's just too much going on everywhere else uh yeah she's good she's good she's great in dread we won't be covering dread for the podcast but like you can hear about dread probably by the time this goes up on the superhero pantheon and i was like oh man dread's great maybe i should have pushed harder for it anyway that's that list isn't set in stone there's still time so this movie is told in i mean it's technically in four bits because it's four seasons but it's basically three in an epilogue so we start in autumn the gosh darn opening titles benjamin it took eight months to make these are they uh, are they rotoscope or is it hand animated? it's rotoscope and they had a walking on a treadmill that they had to edit out and <laughs> it's really really good uh, and it just i think it really nails the tone i mean there's footage before them but i think it really conveys the tone immediately because it's, 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 it's very got twee. that yeah but it's also got that element of like a teenager's like doodles or something but like one that's into punk music you know <laughs> so it's like it is twee but it has also so got that tiny bit of a like I, I, I want to put this down immediately before it comes out Juno's got better music taste than fucking Mark Loring yeah he talks a big game but the stuff he actually recommends to her is kind of hot trash. everything he recommends is worse than the stuff that she's already into and okay. it's like I get it that you were into music in 93 dude and I get that you like this fucking like gory movie and stuff like that but she's watched, already watched fucking Suspiria and she's into like the 1970s New York scene like she's fine best time for rock and roll literally no one's ever said that about the 90s ever and like you know I'm I'm here for the 90s but I'm not gonna stand there and be like yeah rock and roll like I did, I did I did a fucking like my favourite albums every single year since like the album became an art form and 93 was like the one year I sat there going like oh, I can't pick there's so much decent stuff but nothing that I'm like yeah this is fucking great yeah there's like, a lot of mediocrity in, in... And, I'm, and, I'm, and it is the year that Wu-Tang and Nirvana in Utah come out and all the rest of it but like yeah. I like those albums but they're not my favourite albums so Juno McGuff, an amazing name. She takes her third pregnancy test of the day from Rain Frickin' Wilson, who is just, he's like, I'm going to be in this movie for 60 seconds. I'm going to say as many words as I can and be memorable. <laughs> because <laughs> some of the stuff he's coming out with, like Fertile Metal and 
stuff like that. This is this is this is kind of like the high point of Diablo Cody's Diablo Codiness in that like I feel like he talks a bit too similarly to Juno. Like yeah. a lot of the other characters have like their own cadences and their own kind of like dialogue choices, but yeah. these two having a conversation together feel like they're very much on the same level yeah, of yeah. how they communicate. It just sounds like okay, this is maybe how Diablo Cody. I don't know if it's like necessarily would be how she talks, but like that whole like self idea, like like how I would like to talk if I were a fictional character type thing. I don't know. It's just it's the most jarring kind of of them because it is the most overly written kind of twee moments in the movie. Yeah. And it's like the first thing that you're kind of shown. Whereas every other character, like, they've got vocal tics and like ways yeah. that they use words and stuff like that, but this is the only one where you just kinda of go like, oh no, these two people are talking like <laughs> how no one in the world talks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then and then she goes and tells the father of the child, Paul Bleeker, and states that she is planning on having an abortion. The fucking hamburger phone, which I think everyone after they saw this wanted to try and get a hamburger phone, but it seems very impractical. Very impractical. She has to shake it to try and get the, like the speaker in the right place in the phone. <laughs> yeah. And I love that she's just like, oh sorry, I'm on my hamburger phone. Like, as if that means anything to anyone on the other end of the phone. I also appreciate that the, the whole thing is, like, when she goes to tell Paulie Blicker, like, she steals an yes. entire living room set from someone else's garden with her friend, and then she sat there smoking a pipe. Yep. But not really. <laughs> yeah, and you see Sarah getting dressed into his iconic running outfit set to the kinks, and, like, yeah, the living room set, and I think when I first saw it, I thought it was meant to be the exact... It, it was, like, her trying to recreate how this happened in the first place, because, like, you see her, like, clam onto him in an armchair at the beginning and I was like yeah. oh she's trying to do that but it's like no she just thought this was fucking fun that there's all this stuff and what if I just had it all set up outside and I'm like well see ya and she just cycles off and then he just has to deal with that on his front lawn they have a great chemistry immediately like he has his own specific energy but like stuff like you know when she's like oh your shorts look especially gold and uh, and he's like oh yeah she my mother uses like colour saving softener and she's like go Carol he's like I'll tell her this delightfully like awkward I, I don't know they just have this good energy about them um, and then you see it's almost like an onslaught of her being like sarcastic and witty and just saying all the words from the word go but what I appreciate is that when she tells them she's planning to get the abortion and she's like, is that okay with you? Like, there is that, like, moment of vulnerability where it's like, she isn't entirely sure. Yeah, she's not entirely sure, but I also think it's quite telling in that his response is, yeah, whatever you want. Almost like he's kind of passing the buck on her. Which men do all the time. You know? Oh yeah, no, it, it's, it's quite interesting. Like, she tries to give him a choice, but I think, like, she's trying to get him to fight for it. Yep. In her own way. Oh well, yeah, I mean, she spends the whole film denying she loves him and stuff. And, like, yeah, I, I feel she's very much, like, I will present as I don't care but I kind of want you to care so that I can care. <laughs> yeah, and then like you see them at, at school as lab partners and he's like, you know, I bring charisma to the table and they're both just sitting there just so like low energy almost. It's just, yeah, I appreciate that. So she decides against the abortion, ultimately. Decides to give the baby up for adoption, selects a prospective couple from an ad in the paper, which, I mean, they say like people post ads in the paper and I was like, yeah, do they? <laughs> like, I, I don't know if that's a real thing, but yeah. And her father takes her to meet them. Diablo Cody has said she probably wouldn't write the movie knowing that people were gonna take it as a giant like pro-life thing and like I don't know like I, I I don't think it comes across as her thinking that abortion is is bad or anything like she just it's a scary thing to do and I don't know I guess we shouldn't get too bogged down in that aspect of it but it's like I mean I, I think Ellen Page has said like I think it's pretty clear if you watch that scene that like it's a choice she's made her choice we're not saying yeah, I think, I think it's the like, only choice. I think it's like I think the fact that she goes there and I don't think they particularly like show a negative side of it I think it's more just like a this is not right for this person kind of scene Yeah. but I could see why someone would because it's not like I can understand why you would exist in the culture of 2007 having just seen Knocked Up and having just seen what's the other movie that they mentioned? Is it like Waitress or something? Yes yeah so you've just seen Knocked Up and you've just seen Waitress both of which are movies that are very explicitly like people coming from one night stands and from abusive relationships and deciding to keep the baby in, in situations which are kind of like against their wills or not against their wills situations that are against their better ideals and kind of be like oh is this the kind of like are we be are we being infiltrated by this kind of thing but i think it is just like a there is fertile storytelling from this kind of situation where it is someone like making this decision potentially against what would it help make their life better because there like there is nothing more daunting 
and then like a 16 year old girl just going into her is it third year of high school having this kind of like over her shoulder especially someone who's quite as out there and obviously unsympathetic as Juno is at points. Yeah, there is one thing more daunting I have been doing this whole podcast with Michael Sarah from Twin Peaks just staring at me and uh, it's piercing my soul <laughs> anyway uh, J.K. Simmons and Alison Janney are perfect parents I think for this character like it, it's great because both of them have now won Oscars in like kind of the decade since this yeah. and I mean obviously they're very well known for their TV roles and and kind of like various movie cameo roles but it's just such a strong cast that's kind of like obviously quite affordable at that point I mean Simmons said he would have taken a non-speaking role in it after he read it and he, he I think he's just a great dad for it because he has two modes and it's like incredibly angry and dickish or it's like sort of hippie nice <laughs> quirky man and, and like he's slid into that one here and yeah I just think I, I just really like the dynamic that they present this family with and it's like you know it's a stepmother situation but like she doesn't hate her like maybe that's, yeah, that, it, that's one of my favourite elements to it is that she obviously doesn't have a lot of respect for her in some ways I think, she, I think she appreciates that she's like there you know and like yeah you know, that's the thing is like Alice and Janie kind of like comes through over and over again to be the more sympathetic person in this situation like when she tells when she tells her parents that, that she's pregnant and stuff like that and also Janie's first thing is she gets a pen and paper down and goes like right we need to get you yeah. vitamins we need to get you this we need to get you that we need to book a doctor's and all the rest of it and it's just like oh no she's just like taking this under her wing and it's dad who's kind of like this is a big moment for me is that my 16 year old child has gone I like, off I like for the most part I think he comes across as a very nice man and like you do get the sort of element of judgement of like I thought you knew when to say when and it's like you know is it cool to say that to to a girl in that situation probably not but then also like I would imagine people have said a hell of a lot worse and like he does ultimately support her in all of it so yeah. I mean that's the thing is, like, I, think, I think he kind of like takes this as like a wounding of his pride and that he thought he raise his daughter better to like he just used protection at the very least but then I just don't like phrases such as better oh no I, I, think, I think it is but I think that's the whole thing is this movie is very good at displaying people at kind of like their base worst without making them out to be out and out villains yeah that's the thing is like, and I think it's that a tight walk that they walk very well with Vanessa and Mark in this movie is that both of them are in the wrong and both of them treat the situation very badly but they are both sympathetic one of them slightly more so than the other but I really like when he's like I didn't think he had it in him when they say it was it was it was Paul and like when she says he's actually great in chair I don't know it's just I like certain turns of phrase and I thought that was a really good one them driving out to meet them and like you get the little montage of the houses increasing in size and stuff as they keep flying past they're, the they're all they're all is, is that thing where like they all look so similar and yet they're very subtly different and they're getting ever so slightly bigger each one as well and it's like yeah okay we're going out to rich town now yeah like we've, we've been to like semi-detached like little house with like maybe like three or four rooms which which at the end of the day are all bigger than uk houses yes like you you, you go you even when you're at like juno's house and you're like oh so the children have got their own large bedrooms and stuff like that it's like yeah. it's someplace in the uk where you literally don't have room for that if you've got more than two children. Nope. There's a lot of space and a lot of uh, wealth in America. Watching hot takes there. Jennifer Garner is so good at just pouring herself into this. As like, is she is she post Alias at this point, or is she still doing Alias? I think she's post. I think. Yeah, maybe. Alias. Alias finished in 2006, so this I, is kind of like. I think um, she had she done a lecture at this point. She done a lecture at this point. So again, like arguably, and like, she's still getting work. So yeah, yeah, so she's done. She's done Daredevil 13 going on. 13 Electra. So this is kind of like she's finished Alias, she's got time to kind of like go off and do movies, which is why she's kind of like taking that pay cut, but... Oh yeah, yeah. She was the only one they mentioned had to take one because... I mean, yeah. Everyone else is everyone else is like firmly TV level yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, and Bateman's still trying to. Bateman really fucking blow up. Like he's in hundreds of movies. I feel Emmy award winning Jason Bateman. Yeah, I know, I know, but like he won an Emmy for directing a show that is downright ugly. Are you talking about Ozark? I'm talking about Ozark. Okay, I still haven't seen it, but I just mean like you know he's still very much TV man, and he would go on to have this enormous film career in terms of like he consistently gets a lot of work. Anyway, Vanessa's just sort of desperate to be a mother and just like so I don't know like you can feel she's like preemptively trying to guard herself from from heartbreak here and like just desperate for it to happen yeah, for her. I, I love that they managed to nail the dynamic between these two so immediately in that like she kind of says like have you ever felt like you were 
built for like one thing yeah and obviously like they've had problems in in conceiving and all the rest of it and then you have mark who's just like he doesn't care he, he clearly doesn't want a baby he, he clearly doesn't want a baby he's going along with whatever his wife wants yes um maybe because like she's so domineering and all quite focused on doing it and he doesn't want to like rock the boat too much you get all these little bits where like juno goes upstairs to use the bathroom and she finds his his guitar room yeah. and he's like oh yeah i have the one room in my house and she makes the flippant <laughs> joke about like but it's obviously she's kind of like she is the one who even though he's the one who's bringing in a lot the money she's the one who's choosing how they spend it and what they spend it on yeah you know you get your own room in your own whole house wow you see this kind of thing a lot i think where like somebody's interests are relegated to one room or whatever to to stop it being all over the house you can have a whole room or whatever he does a really good job of being like nonplussed all the time and just sort of i want what she wants as like it's like you clearly don't want a baby but like you don't want to break up and if she doesn't get a baby you're probably gonna break up so i feel he's just sort of going with it and then it all come out later and what he says i love jk uh simmons and ellen page's like looks of horror when she's like did you want any other compensation it's like excuse me she's reached a level of desperation now where she's just like i, I, I will do to... anything i will cut you a check i will do whatever like I yeah. de- and like that they're just such good sort of salt of the earth people that like i don't know if they're doing well but that they don't even consider taking they that. are they are firmly like the american middle class no i i meant um juno and uh, juno's family like I don't know. No, if... no, yeah, no. They're, oh, okay. they're they're middle class. Okay, like they're sure. they are that economic bracket. Or possibly working class, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just I like that that they immediately are just like fuck no. Like you know, you do get this initial sort of sowing of the seeds of like Juno and Mark bonding over the music a little bit, and Vanessa initially is sort of very coded as sort of uptight and like you know the house must be perfect and and, and all of this. And I think it's great that you start in a place of this guy's kind of a cool married dude who's kind of down to earth he likes this music and stuff and she's a little bit up to, and then like by the end you have like opposite opinions of them because of... yeah it's, it's, it's interesting is that they don't really reveal any new information about him and I appreciate that they don't it's not like when their marriage starts to fall apart that he kind of goes like I'm getting a new apartment do you want to come live with me to Juno like it's it's not that kind of like even though the relationship is obviously crossing boundaries of what should be right in this situation mm. he isn't trying to like make it into a sexual relationship with her well which which I feel, which I feel like is something they could have very easily done to maybe more code him as a villain. Ultimately, yeah, is that like like at the end of the day, he's like he's fallen in love with a sixteen year old girl who's having the the child he's going to have with his wife. It's a super easy thing they could do. Yeah, definitely. And like and obviously like there's a lot of touching and a lot of kind of like inappropriateness. But there isn't a. I think they leave a lot of it to the subtext. Yes, but I, than... but I appre- but I appreciate that it's it's not like it isn't that kind of relationship. Or at least they don't explicitly make it that kind of relationship. So we move to winter, and Gino's pregnancy is coming along. She's starting to show. A lot of people are talking about her around the school, and she takes this ultrasound picture o- over to Mark and Vanessa's house, and Vanessa isn't there, so they bond even more over the music and the horror movies that we mentioned earlier. I really love the look of judgment from the ultrasound. Tech technician and then when she's like thank goodness when she says she's gonna give it up and then Alison Janney's like the fuck is that supposed to be? This, this is such a good scene for her. Yeah. I think everyone in this movie is on back of the cast and everyone kind of gets like that really good moment for them and this is this is Janney's is her just kind of like what's your job title? And then she goes like well I'm a nail technician I think you should keep to your lane. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like I really like that they're in this also, this sort of really fucked up competition of like these people could be like abusers or like like murderers <laughs> or something and like they could do a worse job than my dumbass stepdaughter <laughs> so it's said with love but use a bitch I like it and that's like, yeah. yeah it's it's a really strong scene. like I think I'm very tired of the trope of someone like hating their step parent who I get it it's complicated but like it's nice to see this kind of like unconventional family and it's like but it's presented with warmth instead of just like yeah I hate yeah. my stepmom and everything about her but and I also appreciate you get a little bit more information afterwards where they're like oh we got escorted off the premises by, the, by security <laughs> yeah because because like even though you're firmly on the family side as they say this stuff you also know that this technician's just kind of gone like i've just been shouted at by three people yeah. um, while i'm doing my job <laughs> yeah. i think bateman again really nails it when like she presents him the ultrasound picture and he's like oh hey look at that and it's like you can really tell here that he doesn't want it. i mean you know from the first like his body language in this first scene and how not in any way 
excited yeah. he is about but, it. But then we also get our first kind of like crossing of a boundary where they sit down and they sit and watch The Wizard of Gore, this movie which is on YouTube and I watched some of it last night and it's exactly <laughs> what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. Vanessa sort of gets home and like she's got all this stuff and it's like, you know, you're not getting a baby shower. Like, why wouldn't you get a baby shower? And they're like, oh, it's not set in stone. And there's this, he mentions how a previous situation didn't work out and he says cold feet and it's got such subtext because it's like I mean I think you're supposed to take it as the mother backed out but like you could also see it as like yeah I tried to like torpedo this in some way or like we know he has cold feet so it's like it's got this great little double meaning to it the the way he takes on this he does a lot with his like looks and tones when he's in the same room as both of them at the same time and it's like this sort of this secret thing that's happening and yeah like a stepmom does lecture her about it afterwards of like you know you can't just drop in on a married couple this isn't appropriate blah 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 you can feel it is going to go to some uncomfortable territory but i think it ultimately doesn't quite but it's just like if you were seeing this blind you're like oh this is gonna go to yeah like this is this is gonna go to a place that will make me feel uncomfortable yes juno heads over to visit bleaker she bumps into i like i didn't really know how to sum up the plot at this point because it's just some things are happening but she also bumps into vanessa at the mall but like i like both these scenes like bleaker also points out that it's not really normal for her to hang out with this like adult man who's married and like you're giving him the kid and everything i really like the way they both handle you know he says i think you're beautiful they both just sort of it's as if it wasn't said a lot of film and tv it's like it's this big 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 thing and i think in real life this kind of thing happens where like people don't quite know how to take something so they just sort of veer off to the like, side you, of you, it. you can kind of tell this is the kind of thing that he's probably told her before and she doesn't know how to kind of deal with it and you can argue that she's kind of like taking advantage of him because like i feel like for a lot of this he's very much more into her than she is into him yeah i think he Even openly though... is like yeah I, I like you yeah and like but the thing is that she does this whole thing where like she doesn't want to accept it or she doesn't want to talk about it and so she comes into his room and then it's just kind of like oh you should ask this girl out go hang out with this other girl yeah oh yeah and she's like pushing him on to katrina devort and everything i have fireworks happening in the background now and that's great for audio we'll persevere you get mark and vanessa looking at paint colors and he is again so he's trying to like push back on the painting and saying oh yellow isn't neutral i don't know a single guy with a yellow bedroom and everything and i like that she's wearing what is i'm literally sat in a yellow bedroom right now <laughs> i had a blue and yellow bedroom at one point. I um, had a red and white bedroom with a Pokemon strip along the middle because I lived inside a Pokeball for a good few years of my life. Oh, this is twee. I like that she's wearing what is very clearly his Alice and Chains t-shirt to paint in and it's like, you can read it multiple ways. Like I don't give a crap about the stuff that you own. I think this is like an old ratty t-shirt. And exactly. Is, uh, is that the shirt he's wearing later on in the movie? No, nah, he's wearing a Soundgarden t-shirt, I think. Uh, he likes grunge, I get it. He likes grunge too much. Yeah, good, look, look. As someone who likes grunge, the grunge wave movement, largely overrated. There was some big, big albums, but like, if you listen, if you go beyond the big sort of three, four, five names, trash. Like, all of it. Anyway, when they see Vanessa in the mall, and, like, Juno has that very... Like, they, it starts off as a joke of, like, let's spy on her, and, like, oh, she's gonna steal this kid. She has this very clear, like, wow, she look how much she wants to be a parent moment. I know, and that, that's this, this gutting moment where it's just, like, this person who's so obviously, like, this is what she wants in life. Yeah. She is so happy in this moment of just playing with someone else's child. Imagine what joy she'll get from her own. And it's not that Gino ever doesn't take the situation seriously, it's just she's very flippant in how she behaves and everything, and it's like, yeah, no, I want you to have this kid, that'll be cool. And it's like, I feel this is where it's really hitting her, that, like, I'm gonna, like, massively impact this woman's life and everything. And, and then you get this whole beat with, like, the baby won't kick for Vanessa until she talks to it, and, like, I don't know if it's brave acting, but, you know, obviously in real life, if someone did that, you'd be kind of, like, the degree to which she talks to the kid, you'd be a bit, like, raised eyebrow, but, like, it's pure and it's it's lovely and yeah the baby does kick for her yeah again like this this is my favorite moment of jennifer garner in the movie is this moment of kind of like despair when she puts her hand on the thing and this kind of like this this self-doubt of whether or not she'll be good enough to have this child yeah and, and like if it had ended there relation- would have been so depressing if it's like it won't kick for me and then if juno just made a joke to diffuse it and then they just went their separate ways that would have been so gutting but for it to end in that nice little way with with her looking up with the big beaming smile like it's just nice we move to spring and 
Juno is at eight months pregnant, and she has a falling out with Bleecker over him taking her advice, and uh, she's he's going to take Katrina to prom. So... And, and, and he literally says to her, says, like, you broke my heart. Yeah. I was still trying to be with you, but you, whether or not it's because she couldn't be with him because she didn't want the abortion, or yeah. for, like, I, I feel like this part kind of, like, I wish there was a little bit more of, like, explicit of, like, what, what exactly happened in the aftermath, because I feel like they don't have quite a few, like, enough scenes to kind of, like, drive home. Um, it's like, was Michael Sarah just busy, or did you just not want to focus on him, or what? Well, the thing is, is, yeah, it's just like, they don't hang out, and it's just like, oh, we've not hung out anymore, and it's like, I wish we'd kind of seen yeah. her blowing him off, or something, because all we get is her trying to see him, mm-hmm. really, and, and then... And talking about him, and... Yeah, yeah. and there isn't, there isn't that kind of clear separation that would make you feel like, oh no, this, this is how he broke her heart, rather than, we're supposed to imply it from, I'll go hang out with another girl, rather than me. He's very Michael Sarah here, saying stuff like, yeah, I should just be cheesed off at you, and it's like, oh, Michael. So she, pissed at Bleeker, heads over to see Mark again, and, like, she's putting on, it's not lipstick, but, you know, she's, like, looking herself in the mirror and, like, like touching herself up before she goes over to see him and everything, and, like, he, just before this, he'd, like, called her, uh, she'd called him, uh, just to, like, say, oh, yeah, listen to that music and everything. Like, it's all very, like, ooh, I feel she has a minor crush on him, or... I think she's, like, he's an adult and, like, he's kind of cool. I don't know if she's, like, has an actual crush on him. I don't think she sort of reads the danger of the situation or something. I think she's very, like... I think the way she tackles life means that she's just not really, like, aware that, hey, this is crossing into weird territory here. Yeah, like, she has the conversation with her stepmom and she's just, like, adult men and girls can't have friendships. Yeah, she's like, I can have an adult friend. I can have a married friend. And she's like, I don't think you can. Like, And it's like, yeah, but here we go. And right from the off, when she turns off, she's like, is Vanessa here? And he says, no, we're safe. And it's like, <laughs> you just see it coming. You do get the, like, most fruitful Yuki <laughs> comic. Which break. is not how Japanese comics look. No. And then they start dancing together, and it's... If it were a less inappropriate relationship, like, that would be quite a nice moment. I mean, she says near the end about Bleecker, like, you know, you look at my face and everything. And everyone's, like, gossiping about her and, and, like, making fun of her for being pregnant and everything. And, like, if just your friend was like, oh, hey, look, I found a pregnant superhero. It's like, that's a nice, cool little thing you did. But then they start dancing and it's, like, not cool at all. (laughs) And he, this is where he tells her, like, I'm gonna leave Vanessa, I'm gonna get an apartment in the city and, and, and all of this. And she is infuriated, obviously. And he's like, I thought you'd be cool with this. And it's like, that's where your subtext is of like maybe he thinks that if he leaves Vanessa and gets an apartment in the city that maybe she'll come over to that apartment and stuff but it's not explicit it's not like he tries to kiss her or he tries to grope her or anything like that it's just it's it's just there underneath when she says but you're old and he's like how do you think of me and it's and and why are you over here you know this is clearly one of those Peter Pan men who who still thinks he's young and cool and hip and it wounds his pride to be told he's old and everything and and maybe he did think that like you know i could start seeing this 16 year old girl 17 year old girl like that's super fucked up but yeah heavy shots fired at sonic youth who i think are okay (laughs) but she's like it's just noise and then when vanessa comes home the way this scene is coded with like juno looking very like something's just happened and him doing the whole... Like, if you just saw this scene cold, you'd think that he just kissed her or something or just tried to touch her because it's very, like, him covering for them both and, like, her just sort of silently staring at the sa- at the ground and stuff. And, and that Vanessa picks up on this and she's like, what did you do? And it's all just so... Yeah. <laughs> but without fully going there. And, and But then I, I think it does ultimately veer in a better way where... I mean, it, it fucking sucks for Juno that she's got to stand there while this couple break up around her, but... Like, it doesn't devolve into the ugliest version of this it could have been. And it's not that it's, like, a friendly breakup, but it does take a slightly more nuanced turn than I was expecting when I first saw it, for sure. And there's this... On some level, she is being kind of mean when she, like, doesn't respect his passions and stuff. When she's like, you know, because you want to be a rock star, and he's like, please don't make fun of me. It's like, that is... That's valid. Don't completely, like, mock him like that. But then I feel he is so far behind in terms of points here, in terms of the way he has treated everything, that, like... You were saying earlier, I think that they're both... That you think they're both right. Uh, They're both wrong, but they're both sympathetic. I think she is a little bit wrong, and he is a lot bit wrong. 
and I think she comes off better than he does. Personally. Oh, I think she she does, very much does come off better than he does. But I also think that there is like a fundamental communication breakdown, which obviously he could have improved by actually like saying stuff to her. But I can almost imagine the backstory of this movie is is him repeatedly kind of like attempting having these to communicate, attempting to communicate, and being completely overturned. And yes. it feels like he's so maybe not hempecked, but kind of like pushed over in like, well, I don't want to like have a fight about this, and that's that's an issue in its yeah. own right. It, those people who like oh there's like, something just hanging out in the air that neither is addressing and it's just slowly going to kill that relationship yeah exactly and i feel like that's what makes him sympathetic at the beginning is because you can you can immediately tell what kind of relationship it's going to be but then very ultimately the movie comes down the side of like this woman has done the research and she desperately desperately wants this she has a life goal and a focus and that makes her immediately more sympathetic than him whereas we're his... trained to think that driven people are great and people that are a little bit like moochy or whatever well, are bad. Yeah, he's, he's very much kind of like I need to figure out what my life is and it's like I mean what, what are we trying to figure out that you can sit in an apartment play your music earn a lot of money and then flirt with a 16 year old yeah, yeah. And, um, and like it sort of mirrors Juno earlier on where like her dad is like I thought you were the kind of girl that blah 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 and she's like I don't know what kind of girl I am and stuff like that like I feel he's sort of seeing that reflected back like he I feel he's like a stunted adult in some ways yeah it's, it's like Juno is definitely older than or like she is wise beyond her years mm-hmm. even if she's still very emotionally not immature and then he is kind of the inverse of that where he acts a lot younger than he should and that's possibly because he works from home and doesn't have interaction with other people because he earns a lot of money for doing what he does because yeah. he was in bands and had people kind of like kind of going for those kind of things I think and... he's got that whole glory days syndrome uh, thing, yeah and like... you, can, you can tell that Jennifer Garner is probably like one of those people who was like a groupie of his band and they met in that kind of situation or something like that like yeah. and then she's aged out of it and is just kind of like can you put away the, the shirt that we I bought you in like 95 <laughs> and it's tough like when you like I think I think a lot of stuff like romanticizes sport and stuff that, like, particularly like high school sport, college sport, that kind of stuff, like Friday Night Lights, you know, these are the glory days, like, this is special time, like, you won't get it back. And then there's also a backlash against it, where it's like, just grow up, it's just this thing. But, like, there is something in between there, where, like, this thing where, like, it is everything to you, and there's a very limited window, and that goes away one day, and it's very hard to, like, leave it behind you. And I think it's, I think it's interesting in that you've kind of got, because arguably you can tell from how Gino is treated at school in that she's not not having the best time of her life in high school compared to presumably like Jason Bateman even though he probably wasn't in high school in, in 93 <laughs> very much kind of like he's having his best time when he was that age and yeah. and she's maybe, waiting for the world to catch up with her personality and like she'll probably have a real fun time like once this era is over and then yeah, once, like, oh maybe, she's really cool <laughs> yeah maybe when she goes to college maybe when she's immediately after college like yeah. she'll finally find people who are like like her whereas yeah. at this point well, in time she even, she even brings it up at the beginning she's like jocks totally want girls like me and like they one day come to realize that like they're everything they wanted or whatever and it's like yeah like this is very true to life there are definitely like there's that moment and then it's immediately followed up with what is a, a reasonably funny joke but also this kind of like expectation of like all cheerleaders are into like older men and stuff like that and feels like that feels yeah, that, that, that feels like a shot but main devil <laughs> Cody said her best friend was a cheerleader like I don't know I, 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 maybe it is based on that kind of thing but it, it, it leads to the funny thing with Olivia Philby where like she's into the teacher as well. Is she, is she a cheerleader? She's not the yeah, one she's No, she is a cheerleader, yeah. Is she the one that's flirting at the beginning? Yep. And it's just this man in like a sweater vest like spilling something on himself and it's just like, yeah, that's happening. I mean, like, I mean, not not to say that there aren't women who are into that. but it I think feels it like makes it, it funny. It, it, versus it, it, if it, she were like really into a guy that was like normal looking. No, it, it does, it does normal, make it, but, you know. it does make it funny to be like, when you hear teacher you expect it to be like hot teacher kind of thing and yeah. it's not, it's like daddy teacher and like obviously like there are people who like dad bods and all the rest of it but it is it feels like the more astute observation is is that the jocks are the kind of guys who will be like once they've graduated will be like sending hey you up text to like the nerdy girl hey haven't seen you in ages what are you up to these days (laughs) yeah oh well i'm just going on my sports scholarship in college and stuff like that but like there's no girls who are like quite as cool as you were (laughs) at high school did i never tell you that you were cool in high school oh dear (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, they Juno storms out obviously because like they are the way to fix this situation for her, and like she doesn't want to have the baby for herself. I don't think she ever considered that. And it's like fuck if you guys don't take the baby, I'm kind of screwed. I love how quickly she resolves it though. Totally, I really like the scene where she pulls over and just has a quick cry and then drives off, and like the the the, the high shot with like the train on the left and the fields on the right is just very pretty. And, yeah, like, she like scrambles for a receipt, scribbles something on it that we don't get to see, oh, and then it's just. So good when you see her at the end though. Can we just take a moment to say like Helen Page is really fucking good. She is really good. Like it's it's obviously she's doing that like showy gimmicky like look at all the words this character is saying but she is also fucking crushing the emotional beats as well so I mean like, that's the thing is like this is so thoroughly like her kind of like I was gonna say coming out story but th- that is <laughs> uh, that was stolen from her by um by Brett Ratner on the set of X-Men Last Stand oh, um <laughs> <laughs> fucking scum so like I mean like she's, she's so good in this like she was great in Hard Candy a couple of years before this yeah, yeah. I remember there was a lot of buzz for Hard Candy I think like, I think at film school like, our lecturer was like guys you all need to see this and I was like oh shit <laughs> yeah I feel I feel like she's the perfect choice for Kitty Pride. she especially. was robbed. she got to be in the shittiest movie and she got to do the least work in Days of Future Past yeah. but like she after she has Whippet she has Inception I don't want to talk about Super and then she kind of disappears for a few years which is really sad and then you, I mean, you've seen Umbrella academy and i've not i think she's she's very good in it it treads into some tropey territory where it's like ah, oh, it's kind of shitty that she didn't get better than this but then there are also some really great moments for her and it is weird that i don't want to say her star has fallen but like she is by far the biggest name in umbrella academy and like she doesn't come across like it i don't think and i think that's she's trying to be the meek wallflower to be that anyway we can review umbrella yeah like, I mean, like, like, like yeah ellen, ellen page is great I mean, like whether or not she should have won over Marion Cotillard for for playing Edith Piaf in Livian Rose is debatable. But I do think that this performance is so singularly memorable. It's like one of those yeah. performances that's kind of like bolt at the blue. She will forever be Juno, yeah. for better or for worse. And also, just the Juno character, I think, is kind of inscribed in sort of like modern legacy. You know, like there are yeah. characters that are big, and Juno, I think, is one of them. It's kind of less relevant in that I don't think like it's not like we've kind of got ten years on and people are speaking more like. Like Diablo Cody words. Um, it's still very singularly that kind of thing. You can debate whether or not it's aged well or not. Mm. Um, I think one thing that kind of like helps it is that a lot of the pop culture references are very old, which doesn't make it feel like it's... It does feel like they could say this is set in a different decade and you'd probably believe them. Like No one uses a cell phone and I think because it is so informed by Diablo Cody's past and it's set, you know, well it's set in Minnesota but like it's filmed in Vancouver and it's it, very it, it, Canadian and... <laughs> Yeah, it is it's actually just... kind of similar to Superbad in that yeah. Superbad has this very strongly 70s aesthetic. Yeah, I think this is a different kind of 70s aesthetic almost. So Gina has a heart-to-heart with her father. She confesses to Bleak that she's in love with him. It's lovely. JK's sitting there like fiddling around with tools in a kitchen. It's just something very wholesome about it. It's just, I, I, just... Love, I love that bit and I love when she walks in and he goes like, because obviously in the front movie he's been calling her Jewbug yeah. and when he walks in goes like, what's what's up? Puffed up version of Jewbug or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Just kind of like it's um, just wild that he's capable of this warmth and then you look at whiplash which we will be doing next volume and it's like good lord how are both of these inside of you i also I mean, especially especially when like at this point he's probably most famous for J. Jonah jameson yeah yeah true i really like the comment about like they're talking about so they, they have a daughter called liberty bell lb the second most famous liberty bell in fiction now they're talking about how she's gone to like tots ice skating or whatever and i just really like that allison journey went on to do uh i tonya and she won the oscar for it right she did win the Oscar for that yeah. one. That's just whether, nice. or not, whether or not she should is debatable, and maybe we'll cover Ladybird next time. Okay. He gives that like really nice, warm advice about find someone who accepts you when you're ugly, pretty, like everything. It's just nice, and like you know, her filling the the mailbox full of the tic tacs and everything. And when they have their little confessing feelings and kissing scene, I think it's really nice. Where like she's like, "You're so cool, and you don't even try." And he's like, "I try really hard, actually." <laughs> and just it's really nice. Uh, and the line about like the baby kicks like crazy whenever I see you, and and that you look at my face, and everyone else is looking. At the bump and everything it's just like yeah and then you get that nice little beat where the jock looks all bothered while they're kissing and everything which is like so my partner walked in during that scene and was just like oh is he something to do with the movie and I was like it's a callback to a joke from about an hour ago, ago. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's a nice little detail, I think. Uh, so Juno goes into labour. She doesn't tell Bleaker, but he realises and he sprints all the way from his race to the hospital. He does get to have his race, though. It's not like he abandons his race. No. but He breaks the district record and then comes. But it's like that it doesn't mean anything. You know, he crosses the line and the first thing he thinks of is her. And I think that's just a nice moment. Like, he yeah. gets to have it both ways. And I, yeah. So, so, what, so th- this is the thing. Like, one of the things that always makes me think of this movie is she calls down to her dad when her water breaks. Yeah. And then goes like, oh, well, either my either I just peed myself or... And then he goes like, or... And then she goes, I burned a katako. <laughs> and it's like, is that a reference Juno would know? Probably not. But this is, again, Diablo Cody writing herself and forgetting that, like, this was many years ago. And you yeah, need like, to, like, you and, need and, to and, bring and, this and forward a, a bit. It's a 16-year-old girl in 2007 who would have been born in 91. I'm sure there were people who might have, like, Thundercat VHSs in their, like, early years, but... Yeah. And, like, then briefly forgetting Liberty Bell and stuff that's fun and and you get Alice and Jenny saying like my kid I'm not disappointed that she never calls her her mother she calls her a stepmother every time but like on some level it does have that feeling where she's just like well she's basically my mom and I, I just like that she calls her her kid all the time we see this and it's like a like really a snipey type relationship and everything and yeah like Bleaker like running all the way from his race to come to the hospital and spoon her is just completely adorable you know Ellen Page crying and smiling after she's given birth and, and that you see in the nursery room that Vanessa has framed the note that she wrote her if you're still in I'm still in which it's cool that she did that and everything but like on some level that was probably legally required because of the <laughs> adoption thing you know like does this impact what's going to happen with the the agreement of the adoption and maybe this serves as like an actual legal <laughs> legally binding like you're still in and like it's just a really nice thing to have something like that right because she comes across as so like prim and proper and it's like it's like on the back of an invoice or something and it's like scribbled and crinkly and everything and like, she gets that framed it's just like a really nice little moment and like you're so like pulling for Vanessa to like have that kid at the end but everything it's like you know she'll be fine without mark she won't be fine with that baby and she gets that baby and it's just it's just really nice and you get the whole it ended with a chair because the first line is it started with a chair and they just get summer and they just they sing a song together outside and they kiss and and brenda gets a dog now which suggests juno was either lying about being allergic or was just like just get one like i'll deal with it yeah i won't touch the dog saliva (laughs) it's just really really sweet and like seeing the team run by as the last sort of it's a weird kind of like almost semi-greek chorus type thing whenever they run by it's that (laughs) like weird theatrical thing what do we think about anyone else but you it's a nice song i think they said that these two sung it better than they did i mean the moldy peach just can't sing. No. The whole thing is like they are called anti folk. Yes. <laughs> they they definitely can't. But they, they write good songs, I think. And I think like Michael Cera is a singer. Like he's in bands. He was in a band with fucking Clark Duke or and which is why he's in Super Bad. And I don't know if he's like deliberately singing it weirdly to try and match the original song or whatever. It, but... it probably is. It probably is one of those things where like, I know I find myself when I'm like listening to songs, I will change my like vocal cadence to yeah. sing along with how the singer did it rather than sing within my own like range yeah i don't have any range so i don't sing along to songs but that's yeah i could see that would be a thing i i do. got the very dubious compliment of being the best singer at karaoke a couple of weeks ago Oof. Which, yeah wow. and you're still doing this podcast with me Jeez, i know i feel honored yeah the soundtrack is fucking dope throughout and it's it's nice that it ends with a song like that and reitman asked Paige like what would you know listen to and she's like the moldy peaches and like that, that is such that. a spot-on kind of like that's normally the job of like a music supervisor but like the fact that ellen Page got that so much and yeah. and then they um, got in contact with her and got her involved and yeah, it's... yeah so who do you think has the stamp on this movie more jason reitman or diablo cody i think it has to be diablo cody okay it's definitely like the characters are just their lips are moving but it's her words kind of thing which is obviously true of every movie but you know what i mean i think some of the emotional beats are of pure reitman though like and the sort of sense of middle-aged malaise that is coming from the adult characters i think is coming from him yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it is a blend of them both actually honestly like because you know we'll see that you know they drifted apart and then have come back together more recently or whatever to try and, and recapture the magic or 
whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that very interesting thing where, like, the three movies he's done with Diablo Cody are the three movies that he hasn't written, and he kind of has a bit more of an anonymous style than other people. Like, you could watch Thank You for Smoking, Juno, and Up in the Air and see they're all quite differently visual. I didn't know they were all by him until you pointed that out. To yeah, me. like, that's the thing. is like, he is quite an anonymous director, and whilst, it, like, he writes a lot of his own stuff, and obviously, like, as you say, like, malaise and middle-aged malaise and stuff like that with, like, Labor Day, Men, Women, Children, mm. and even his TV series, Casual, like, are all very much... Oh, is that him? Yes. Right. Are all very much in that kind of vein. Casual's really good. I'm yeah. a really big fan of Casual. In fact, I think both Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman have got fantastic TV shows under the belt. Like, uh, Diablo Cody did United Sets of Tara, which oh, yeah. takes a couple of seasons to get going, but the third season is is brilliant. It's where I met Brie Larson for the first time. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, both United Sets and Tara and Casual are both well worth watching, and they're both kind of like later day comebacks for the two of them. Well, yeah, United yeah, Sets yeah. Tara is kind of like immediately after this, but J- Jason Reitman needed to hit after a couple of years. I mean, he still fumbled the front runner. I th- yeah, I mean, he came out of the gate swinging. Like, that's a very good first three movies for a director. It's a very good fan. first four movies yeah, for him, because yeah. Young Adult's really good as well, and then Labor Day is... Sure. Normally a lot of directors... I mean, some directors' first movie's really good, but then, like, their second couple aren't, and then they get really good. And I feel like he really very much peaked extremely early. It's just quite delightful, and it's nice to see Paige, like, really flexing all of these acting muscles when, like, for a lot of people, you would have just known her as, like, hey, dickhead, and, like, you know, talking yeah. to Juggernaut and everything. It's nice to see her get something. I mean, like, nowadays she's fifth build or whatever it is on, on Umbrella Academy, and yeah. she did a video game. She did do a video game. She really did, and she, yeah, that went sideways for her. But I think the the number of, like, really good performances and the style and everything, I think it probably does objectively push this over. Thank you for smoking and up in the air. This feels like it's, it's a a lightning in the bottle moment of kind of like Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody both working at the kind of peak of their creativity between us is maybe a bit much in this day and age but yeah. I also think it's what makes the movie so memorable to start with like if it didn't have something that made it stick out we maybe wouldn't be talking about Juno quite as glowingly yeah. as we have recently but yeah. it's a fun movie it's a very nice palate cleanser in between the two movies that we're discussing <laughs> either side of it yeah we are covering three of the five best picture nominees this was one of them it's mm. very important to say is that like even though the race was between No Country and the movie we're discussing next week, Juno was still very much in that, in that thing, and she won Best Original Screenplay. Well, as you said, we are doing a very different style of movie next week. We will be doing It's the Moment of Truth, the film the podcast is named after. There will be blood. That will be next week. Go to EnterTheRealWorld.com, Mike and Matt on SoundCloud, like, comment, subscribe, tell people about it. Hey, Craig, from work, if you're still listening. Until then, though, I know there will be blood, but will there be movies? There will be movies and they will also maybe be milkshake uh, I, 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 drink your, I drink your milkshake Matt I'm looking forward to it. bye everyone